Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job, where today we're talking about listening, like proper listening, the kind of listening where you feel heard, where you feel validated, the beautiful kind of listening where it just allows you to unfold into the space. We're going to find out how it works and what to do, practical stuff as well. And so it's appropriate for um, therapists. There's a bit of therapist therapy chat in here. I have to say we got a bit therapy-ish. But the stuff Jenny is talking about and sharing with us is appropriate for everybody, for all humans, essential skills for all humans in the day-to-day world. And my guest is Jenny Rose Smith, who's created an approach that she calls receptive listening. And this combines Carl Rogers' core conditions with a practice of being rooted in and supported by the present moment. So it draws in threads from both meditation and psychotherapy. And Jenny has worked on crisis services for three decades, supporting people with addiction and mental health difficulties. She started as a volunteer and moved on to set up several projects within organisations all the way from scratch, creating local, regional, national and eventually global services. She specialised in creating accessible services for people whose needs were often misunderstood and marginalised. The projects were based on the core principles of Carl Rogers, the founder of humanistic psychology. And the three principles are empathy, congruence and unconditional positive regard. And these services included a groundbreaking self-harm service for girls and young women and a global network of women's reforestation circles for tree sisters. Recognising the widespread occurrence of burnout, Jenny also engaged in a parallel process of inner work comprising psychotherapy and meditation. It is a delicious conversation and I do interrupt her. (laughs) (laughs) much to my shame, Um, because I I was just so engaged with what she was saying, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I'm really excited to talk about listening, because it's something that is... um, all we all do, all humans and mammals do. Mm. And the way human, the, the huge variety with which humans do it mm. makes a massive difference. Mm. So when, you, when you're talking about listening, what do you mean exactly, Jenny? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Because it's not just finding out what time to meet in the park. No, no. I was reading, I've been reading quite a lot about from Carl Rogers recently because I'm studying and, um, you know, he, he founded, he founded humanistic psychology and he, he says, like, listening such a simple word, but actually it's a lifelong process to really do it well. And I really agree. What I'm interested in now is something that I'm calling receptive listening. And it to me, it, it that's it differentiates from what he named as active listening, which is the kind of classic skills you get taught in therapy trainings, counseling trainings. And active listening is really important. It's all the kind of how we show someone we're listening and how we could really we, could we that. name those skills, the active listening skills? Yeah, things like things like nonverbal cues, so facial expressions, eye contact, and then paraphrasing, reflecting, clarifying. So really checking you're on the same page as somebody. Mm-hmm. So actively engaging in the listening relationship. And it's super important, super important. But I'm now interested in something that I'm calling receptive listening, which is for me rooting into a kind of more meditative space during the listening but you know the listening where actually where what we're saying really needs time really needs attention really deserves it you know that kind of quality of listening what does rooting mean rooting grounded kind of really 
for feeling myself right here, right now, and feeling myself supported by um, what I would call presence or a ground of being, a kind of tangible sense of this moment. That's that's yeah. I mean, I can talk about it a bit more in terms of how I understand that comes about, if that's mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah, yeah. So you're, are, you, are you talking about uh, a somatic sense, a felt sense yeah. under your bum and that kind of thing? Like, and a, yeah, a, a and, and also, body. yeah, somatic and, and energetic, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of whole system. Mm. And that holds you in the moment. It does, yeah. It really supports. It really, it feels very, very supportive to stay in the moment in a way that's not so active. That's not what I used to find when I was listening to people whose content was really hard to bear witness to. I would start striving. You know, it would kind of call up a kind of energy in me that I'd want to make it better. It would start to feel a bit unbearable in me. So I'd want to make it better and I would get overly active. I think we can all relate to that. We hear a, we hear a, uh, an, a, an awful story and we want to make it better. Yeah, of <laughs> so course. Human. Oh, can it I is... help you? And I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I notice in myself, I think we might have been journeying parallel with this <laughs> process. Uh, one of my um, one of the things I notice is how far I'm leaning forward. Exactly, exactly. Or back, or like yeah. how much space, and I, yeah, that kind of yeah. leaning into moving past one's own space and moving into somebody else's. Yeah, is a really, a really clear cue to me that I'm, <laughs> I'm up to something <laughs> uncomfortable, and I want something to change, and I'm not really yeah. listening. <laughs> Brilliant feedback, isn't it? Brilliant, yeah, yeah. very clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, so the receptive listening is kind of staying a lot closer to ourselves, staying a lot closer to our own experience, and letting meeting somebody rather than trying to help somebody meeting someone where they're at rather than overtly trying to help and change something Mm. yeah and how does it i think it's also interesting to think about how it feels if when you're met that way because it yeah feels so different doesn't it it really does yeah my experience of it is incredibly incredibly permission giving to just be where I'm at and allow what actually wants to kind of move through me, whether it's emotions or body sensations or whatever, to mm. take the time they need to take. Mm. There's something so spacious about it. And, and in the face of really, you know, harrowing or challenging experiences to be met with, we've got enough space for this. There's no rush. Mm. that's you know that's incredibly therapeutic Mm. yeah yeah and I'm really curious about your journey Uh Uh (laughs) (laughs) about how you came here is I I know because I know that you offer one-to-one sessions and um group sessions and you're studying um Hakomi yeah Uh the fabulous (laughs) place yeah um But I imagine that you've been around the block a few times over the last. I have. I have. Yeah. Decades. (laughs) Yeah, at least three decades. Um, In my early twenties, I—I mean, I knew I wanted to do social work when I was a very young teen, kind of twelve, thirteen, and I got on the training. It didn't work out financially. I didn't get a grant, so instead, I went into the voluntary sector in Bristol. Very young worked in incredible projects so worked in a street drugs agency worked on a in a self-harm support network a national service worked on a crisis helpline for mind and I kind of made my way from being a volunteer up to managing and developing services over time and they were extraordinary learning grounds because there was so much I mean in the drugs project which was my kind of my first big job I I brought a team of volunteers into that drugs project and kind of threw out all the services that were offered. The energy was incredible. It was so chaotic. 
you know we'd have drop-ins every afternoon people would just walk in with whatever and we'd be in this really small crowded room with steroid users filling the doorway concerned mothers who'd found bits of powder in their kids bedrooms people gouging out having taken too much heroin you know all in the same space in three hours and we were just firefighting trying to get people to services trying to get people you know what they needed so the learning curve was immense and I was you know I was young and I was pretty green but I my heart was massive and I just really was so up for it and so I was willing just to sit with people and listen and be with what they'd experienced and you know from where I'd come from I mean I'd have my own journey but it wasn't anything like some of the trauma that people had gone through that I worked with in those times and I was so impacted by it. So, um, I mean, I worked in that project for a few years and then I went on to other mental health projects. And over the, over the decades that I worked in that kind of work, I saw people start to burn out. And because it is harrowing, it's kind of indigestible, the content that you're, that you're witnessing. And I, on a, yeah, at the same time, I started meditating and I also went to therapy. And I do think that paid, played a really significant role in why I didn't fully burn out. I got quite close at times, um, but I didn't fully burn out. And so now I'm kind of looking back and going, what was it about that parallel process? What were the important things? Because they felt quite distinct at the time, my work and then my inner world stuff felt very distinct. But actually now in hindsight, I can see that they were very weaved and really influencing each other. Can you say, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want you to disclose stuff that you're not comfortable with, but can you say a bit more about the dynamic of this interplay between the, with it, between your inner world and your outer work? Sure. Yeah. So for quite early on, I realised, and this was a real blessing, I realised that my own struggles in life had primarily been what took me into that work it was a kind of combination of really caring like it's innate in me I do really care but also I'd had some really difficult experiences when I was young so I was very tuned in to the distress in others so in in, when I was working at the drugs project I realized that actually it was my own kind of distress that was also in the mix when I was listening to other people And it was really great that I got that so young because I think most of us who go into those kind of caring roles have that history. Many people don't wake up and don't recognise that there's kind of quite a lot of projection going towards people that they're supporting and that can really get in the way. So so that happened. So that's why I started realising I needed to go into therapy myself. And then that just created a bit more space. Um, in my relationships with people that I was supporting. And then I went on to kind of management roles where I was managing teams of volunteers that were working on on crisis lines. And then I was supporting people who had exactly the same journey. They'd come from kind of really tough times, wanting to give back, wanting to make a difference. And I'd have to support them to have that kind of wake up so they could step back and sustain, do good work and sustain themselves in the meantime. So that's the kind of nutshell of it. And there's, I think, I, I've met lots of healery therapist type people, and yeah. I think nearly everyone comes in consciously or unconsciously because we want to heal our wounds. Yeah, as you say, yeah. there's other stuff as well, caring and yeah. wanting to make a difference and yeah. Connect. But that's always there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's the archetype, isn't it? The wounded healer. It's, we have both sides. By the way, do you say Chiron or Chiron? I say Chiron. Oh, you say Chiron. <laughs> I Let's do. Let's the whole thing off. Okay, just, just checking. <laughs> yeah, I say Chiron. I'm into astrology, so I, okay. I work with Chiron with astrologically too. Okay. Yeah. So you're deep in there. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> or nearly always. Yeah, with with this archetype, I think the, the 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 sticky the sticky bits come when we pretend that we're not wounded. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely. And it's, it's interesting because at the moment, so now I'm working for myself and I'm doing private work, which is so different from working in the voluntary sector and being on a, you know, open door policy project. Um, I'm, you know, and I, ha I haven't got that security of being behind an organization and kind of being able to say I work for blah, blah, it's just me doing this. So I'm kind of going around again with my listening skills. I'm noticing all the ways in which all my habits have just come right back in again. You know, so I'm experiencing my set, my own, my own needs again, you know, cause I'm, cause I've come, I've kind of become more visible. There's kind of more at stake. So all of that kind of stuff that came up in the early years, a, a version of it has come back up again. Three decades. So there's something cyclical about this process of, yeah listening that does it relate to sensi your sensitive relative sensitivity i mean relative to yourself relative sensitivity or vulnerability or something in that i'm more aware of my sensitivity now is that what i mean if if the same patterns are emerging now as you're self-employed because of the visibility is it that sensitivity of being seen that then awakens the the listening i'm sure that's a factor yeah yeah i'm sure that's a factor it does feel more vulnerable um yeah i mean i think i've had a journey from you know just stepping into that kind of work was a bit vulnerable when i was young and then going for jobs there was more at stake and so it was always kind of upping the the bar and then setting up self-employed and saying to the world i've got something worth having mm. that's vulnerable yeah so yeah. all of that's all of that's up again can i just can we can we just celebrate it's like this is yeah. like therapy for the rest here, <laughs> like, all the healers in the house <laughs> can, we, can we just celebrate um how our courage um and how vulnerable it is to step out yeah as a single a single person as an yeah. individual in the world and say i have something to offer here it's hugely courageous and hugely vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. It's really wibbly wobbly. It's really it wibbly wobbly. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have the support around me that I've had, mm. for sure. Oh, that's something else we can talk about, isn't it? Like, mm. What it, mm. the support, the other support that it needs to listen. Mm. 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 I interrupted you. I sort of shot off at a, at a self-congratulatory tangent. Yeah, no, it's a good shout for me. It's a really good shout. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it, you know, that and that thing about we can we can within within the sort of therapeutic single not single person, that's the wrong word, um uh, self-employed community you know we that you, you go through sort of feeling wobbly about wobbly i'm so wobbly about my marketing and my website and then you go through to sort of oh being a bit more sturdy and a bit more oh. settled but the vulnerability is still there you know it's another version it's another aspect of wounded healer i think that we you know over time it, I, I'm speaking about myself here can i just speak can i just sure. be honest and so, yeah, you, cool. can, you yeah. can say would you would you like to make an uh, an I statement about that case? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can stick it up your ass anyway. <laughs> no, I'm going to generalise. <laughs> I'm going to generalise till I die. Um, you know, I've I've become more I've become easier with talking about my work, about marketing and selling what I do, and it's been mm -hmm. really really hard work to get there. Yeah, but it yeah. does it does belie my vulnerability and that's still there you know the, the yeah. stuff about am i good enough is this true what i'm saying can i yeah hold safely yeah is, yeah is, 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 i to say it's always there but it's 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 cyclical you know it comes up again and again and this i think there's something that's healthy about those questions it's what it's it's kind of how they sit in us isn't it i think it's really healthy to say is it true what I'm saying? Can I hold well? Because, you know, there's times in life where that shakes, depending on what's going on for us. Yeah? yeah, so it's good to kind of be accountable to ourselves. It's just the way in which we kind of explore that, if it's mm. gentle or if it's really critical. Mm. Yeah. But that lone, yeah, being a lone wolf uh, as a self-employed person, 
it's really, really tricky because the support I had in the projects I worked in, I mean, the, one of the blessings of the voluntary sector is that it's really recognised, the need for support's really recognised. I always had really good supervision. There was peer and hierarchical and both were excellent. And that's that's rare, you know, social services, medical profession, they don't have that. Mm. Yeah, they're on the front line doing really extraordinarily challenging work. And th- there's a stoicism that's still really strong mm. in those industries. Mm. And that's, and yeah, that, that the, breaks people, doesn't it? it yeah, it, it breaks people or it hardens people. You know, people either go really brittle and kind of armoured and continue to do it but not well or people really burn out collapse so what sort of support do you have now i've got really good support so i've got i've got kind of proper supervision like therapeutic supervision from a um from a you know qualified supervisor for my for my client work and then i've got for each month i've got four kind of peer supervision relationships I've got one that we meet every week and we just have an hour each and we just share about our work and we support each other with work developments or with what's coming up for us holy guacamole you get an hour each yeah we do that every week we do that every week I know it's really generous which is really I've never heard anyone say that before yeah no we do that we do that every Tuesday yeah and we do we you know we do we've done it through the setting up we both set up at similar times so all those kind of firsts of creating a website mm-hmm. promoting for the first time you know all of that and then I've got another one a fortnightly one we have half an hour each in a fortnight and then I've got two once a month where again it's an hour and we just take some time so I've got four supervisory relationships here and then one on. yeah I take it I just I really thrive from it and I what I notice is when I when I'm like at the moment I'm I'm very very slowly building a course in listening that I don't know when will come out I'm going to kind of give it the time it needs for me to create it and then it will come out at some point and the difference it makes when I'm speaking about it in one of those peer supervisions compared to when I'm trying to do it on my own is just indescribable. I'm so motivated and I really see its worth when I'm sharing it with somebody. When I'm on my own with it, it's just overwhelming kind of fog of what do I do with that bit? How does that bit fit together? It's just too much to do that alone. So your peer, your peers hold the hold you in the process and hold yeah. the process of the process yeah. Mm. yeah and it's that that's what I'm so interested in, in in listening relationships it's like the it's the shared energy field that when two people put their attention together something becomes bigger than just those individual parts and that for me is the thing that makes the difference you know and particularly when there's a kind of consciousness around the quality of listening that we bring to each other you know if, if I was working with somebody and they would just give me loads of advice and suggest, suggestions and solutions then that concentrated energy field isn't there but when there's somebody who's really present mm. and not busy with being ahead of where I'm at and willing to kind of stay in those kind of sticky tight places much more space opens up and that's what makes the difference mm. so tell me what how do you do it? How do we do it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it is what, getting clearer. What's happening? I, I'm, I'm kind of still finding out. I mean, I've got my own direct experience of it, but I'm also starting to read. So there is now a couple of decades worth of scientific research into what actually happens when people meditate in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh dan siegel who's done a lot of research in this area what he's saying is that there's basically three components of meditation and that's the those are the pillars that make the difference to, to our relationships and to our health and those pillars are concentration or attention intention and awareness so in meditation if you've got more than two people in a shared space and they're meditating together what happens is a a level of concentration starts to happen. So you put your attention on your breath or your body sensations, whatever your anchor is, and you start to develop concentration. That concentration has, 
is an energy field. There's an energy of concentration in the room. The more people who are in the room, the more potent that concentration energy is. If you start attending to that, if you notice the concentration field as opposed to what you're thinking about it and just put your attention there and become aware of it, then that starts to expand. So you're already on some sort of observer level though. Yeah, yeah. So you sit in your practice, you put your attention on your breath, and then you start to notice the presence of a concentrated energy. It just becomes stronger. As you turn towards that, you can expand into it. That's as you become aware. So that's the second, that's the awareness. And then our intention in meditation to stay present or in relationship to stay curious, to stay kind, that's the third pillar. And so that's what's happening in kind of listening relationships that are based on, a, on you know, whether you call it presence or the ground of being or the greater intelligence of life, whatever your word is for that. That is, that's a kind of simple way of looking at what's happening there. So what, what is the, when you're in a, in a listening partnership, when you're listening to someone, what is the, um, the field of concentration that you're looking at? Is that the, well, same, I think is that the same thing? Yeah, I think it, I, 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 I'm, assuming that it is I haven't I'm not a scientist so I haven't looked into it on that level but it makes sense to me that when two people like you and I are doing this now we've both got our attention on the same place we're kind of committed to being here that same concentrated energy arises and if we relax into the connection that's here I mean we could call it a connection as well as the concentration we relax into that there's something that's here that's more than us, that's kind of supporting us and holding us. And, you know, when I'm listening to people in my one-to-one work now, I'm most of the time I'm aware of what they're saying and how their body's moving. But I'm also aware of, I experience it as a very kind of tangible silence, actually, a kind of hum mm. of energy that's just there too. And it's very, it's very nourishing it's not it's it's gentle energy it's kind of supportive energy and it's something that invites my body to relax and that pattern of striving and leading forward and trying to you know fix somebody kind of supports that to to soften so does your attention i'm really really nitty-gritty sorry for all the questions go for it so does your attention alternate between the words that you're healing the words that you're hearing sorry and maybe the response in your body and the connection between you it does at times and I think I think what I also do is my attention kind of joins with that wider attention and then I'm kind of listening from there and I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that's going to translate because it is it is very experiential. Like I'm doing it now. I can hear, I can kind of hear something that's kind of very present here in our in, with our communication. And so I'm kind of my uh, my attention is kind of sitting back in that. Okay. And I'm and in and and listening to mm. both of us from that. Sitting back. Yeah, sitting back and joining with it. You know, there's there's a thing about witness, isn't there, that's talked a lot about. And, and for me, witness feels a bit more out there and kind of looking in on. And this feels a bit more kind of just resting back into the presence of the energetic field that's that's mm. that's here with us or part of us. And in, in your group and one-to-one sessions, do you talk about the field? the connection yeah I suppose I'm asking is your work relational do you talk about the quality of relationship I do it is relational um in that I often invite people to think about what's happening right here and right now with us you know if 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 people are talking about a pattern that plays out in their lives I'll kind of say how does that play out here so I'll bring the, the relational there but in certainly in the groups, it varies in my one-to-ones. It, I'd kind of be discerning about when or how to bring that in. But in the group that I run, which is called Rooted in Receptivity, um, 
it's that's the absolute core of it. And, and the reason I set that group up was because I, you know, I've been around women's work for a long time and women's circles and therapy groups and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was really interested because I heard a lot of women say, even in well-facilitated women's circles, I still don't feel safe. And I got curious about that. And what I noticed for me in those kind of situations was that I was coming out of myself. I, you know, I'd be in a circle, women would be sharing. And rather than being kind of rested in my own experience, part of me would be out there wanting to kind of get it right or be safe or whatever the impulse was. Mm. And then talking to other women who I heard saying something similar, I kind of got that we we're all leaving ourselves so right from the beginning in that group, the invitation is to really stay close, even if it means you don't speak in the circle, because just using words is sometimes enough for us to leave. Mm. So, so what do you do with your need to fix, your inner critics, your feeling not enough? Well, I mean, they're, they're all, I, I imagine they're all dancing around having a party yeah 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 for sure same way as they just do with humans (laughs) yeah I think I mean they're there they're there sometimes if they're really strong I'll name them Mm -hmm. for sure because I think naming stuff is really good to kind of diffuse stress around something but if they're in the background and not so strong I'll just notice them I mean, it was interesting. I was out on a walk just before we chatted with two friends and we were having conversations and the conversation went one way and I noticed lots of kind of anxious thinking coming up in my mind. And I just made a really clear decision in that moment that that's not where I wanted to go. And I purposely changed tack in the conversation. And that was, you know, that was like a really strong kind of, nope, I'm not going there, I'm going there we're out on a walk it's not a therapy conversation but so sometimes I'll make a really clear decision not to go there and other times I'm just you know it's really relevant and I'm just going to say I'm giving myself a really hard time about this right now and that's dominant in my experience and and just in the naming of it and having someone else saying yeah "Yeah," then more space comes yeah it's allowed yeah it's permissive yeah yeah this space that we're talking about is is bigger than all of that in my experience and even the most tightly held mind patterns which feel everything you know when we're caught in that or the (laughs) most you know the most painful sensations in your chest or whatever just by naming it something isn't caught in it yeah, I, I I go. I see you. I see you. Oh, nice, <laughs> lovely. Or maybe that's being a bit. If I'm feeling bold, or more often, I see you. But even you know, even when I can only manage a choked little oh. wibbly finger pointing. Yeah, brilliant. I can. Brilliant. I get more space. Yeah, and that's that's the story of the Buddha, isn't it? I see you, Mara. You know, yeah, under yeah. the Bodhi tree, I see you, Mara. I, I meant that actually. That's what I was referring <laughs> to, obviously. I wish people could see your face, Kate. You look so great. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. I love that practice of I see you, and like you say, even even if it's just a whisper. Mm. it's so powerful isn't it to not get caught and we're all going to get caught until until we die probably Mm. well it's it's very difficult because the whatever the negativity that we marinated in as as young people yeah it's it's so in our system it's, it's very hard sometimes to be able to tell what is critic and what is true yeah to separate them out yeah, absolutely. That's why therapy is so great because you have a, a kind, a kind, safe person to say, actually, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mm, mm. So, if if 
if we find ourselves running or in an unsafe circle, apart from, aside from getting the fuck out of there, <laughs> what can we do? In a safe internal circle? In a, no, in a, in, a, in, a, in a group. In a group oh, okay. Of people. What can we do to change, to change, change it to create more safety? If you find yourself in a group that feels unsafe, what's, uh-huh. what's the options? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think getting out is a really important option. I yeah. really do, because I, I, I can definitely put my hand up of having overridden parts of myself to try and kind of make things OK and to, you know, to try and change something on the outside that actually isn't OK. Mm-hmm. So I think getting out is, 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 um, is not any kind of failing at all. Um, but if it feels like it's kind of unsafe, it's unsafe in a way that could actually be therapeutic to move through that. And I, you know, I've had that experience too. It's like I, I, re- I recognise that we kind of need to feel safe enough to unfeel to feel unsafe. And so when the unsafety comes, it actually might be to do with something things feeling safe enough. In those moments, I. I do think saying it to somebody else is really, really supportive because parts of us that are held in absolute terror and that weren't spoken up for in earlier life then start to feel soothed. Um, orienting is a really important practice. So just, you know, attention to the immediate in the moment present environment. So just coming back to sensory experience, looking around the room, slowly really taking things in feeling the connection with your body on the floor or the chair, hearing the sounds in the space, anything that comes back into the moment, you know, that will settle the nervous system, that will bring regulation back. Um, and then just noticing what the body impulses are. Do you need the toilet? Do you need to have a drink? Do you need to go and talk to the facilitator? It's very simple stuff. It's kind of coming back to real simplicity. What are my immediate needs? Because fear feels so all-encompassing. Mm. And everything feels kind of amplified, but actually it's just right here now. Does that make sense? Yes, that's I think that's really great advice. It's mm. really helpful to hear. Mm. Particularly the the sensory stuff, the orientation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, also in our world, um sometimes pe- people people's experience of difficulty in groups is is um gaslighted you know people are gaslighted yeah, yeah. well if you're feeling if you're feeling this then that's your process yeah yeah if you're feeling this that's your problem and nobody else is yeah that's such a horrible position to be put in yeah so damaging it's so damaging yeah 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 so there's something about trust your experience in the moment trust your experience and even if in hindsight, you look back and go, God, I was so triggered and my lens was so unclear. It's okay. Mm. It's okay. In that moment, what you believed was real. Yeah, trust it. Yeah. Because we're, f- we're frightened for a reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was talk- talking to um, talking to someone this week and um, who, about fear, her, her fear in various situations. Um, and you know, oh, it's very, it's, it's very, it's that saturated. We have to move through the fear, and we have to. Oh, what's the other thing? Move out of our comfort zone. No, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. It's a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah, it is. Take your comfort zone with you. You know, if we're feeling yeah. afraid, that is the sign of that something is on alert and feeling unsafe. And needs exactly, tend- it needs tending. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It's really unsafe. There's been a real kind of we've we've got a kind of recent era of push, haven't we? That we're slowly coming out of, but we're no we're nowhere out of it yet. Mm. And push on through has been a really strong mantra. Mm. Mm. And the cost of that. Absolutely everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's a nice little model around comfort zone. Do you know that one with the comfort zone? And then the next circle out is the stretch zone. 
where you kind of learn because you're a bit out of your comfort zone so and then beyond that is panic zone and if you hit that you come back into comfort okay where where can where can people find that well i got it from i got it from gestalt i don't know if it is a gestalt therapy yeah it might be i got it from a gestalt therapist i'll have a little google and see if i can find it okay Do you like gestalt practice? I've got a gestalt therapist at the moment and I really like it. I mean, she, I really like her. And I, what I love about gestalt is the relational side of it. And I've really needed that. I really need it. And it's taken me to this age to be brave enough to go into very relational based therapy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's big stuff. It's really big stuff, yeah. Just sitting with core wounds right there in the room. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ouchie, ouchie. (laughs) It takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of trust. And I guess another myth that I want to really dispel is quick fix. You know, that's something else that we've been really kind of wounded by in our recent era of push through and quick fix. And it's like, no. You know, those those defenses took a long time to build. Let's respect them and just take them down really slowly, if at all. Do you have a model, a model of healing? I mean, do you, I mean, I, I, I feel that emotional cycles just turn, <laughs> they just turn yeah. and the beast, yeah. the dragon or the, the dragon beast sort of sticks its head up once a while, once every, once in a while, maybe when we're more sensitive or more vulnerable or, or triggered yeah. by something and it goes rah and then it gives us the opportunity, you know, we're more activated by a an issue and it gives us an opportunity to well, hopefully not run for the hills, but hopefully get mm. curious, mm. open it mm-hmm. up a bit, soften mm-hmm. around it, do those sorts of things mm. and become more skilled at managing it. And then it goes down and then it comes back up again, often with a different complexion in a different way. And then we have another go. And I my my feeling is that my experience and what i observe in clients is that the patterns the the core patterns remain but we have a but our relationship to them changes mm, yeah and that 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 fixing is just irrelevant really yeah but people it's not very popular <laughs> it's not is it <laughs> it's not a great marketing strategy yeah <laughs> yeah but it's also a relief I mean I've noticed in, in with people that I'm working with who've got that idea that if I you know if I just kind of I'm going to tell this story and work out what I need to do and then I'll be clear of it and and as we've worked and I've encouraged kind of being a bit softer and less kind of goal oriented there's a relief that comes in them because the idea of having to get rid of stuff is harsh, isn't it? It's really harsh. So do you, do you share that sort of model? Or I do what, share what, I, yeah, where, I like, where are you with all that? I'm really curious to hear. Yeah. I mean, I used to be an absolute right. I'm going to get rid of this, get rid of that. And that, you know, that part of me is not okay. It's, <laughs> it's really, really aggressive. But I think my model now is, I've really brought together the psychology and the spiritual practice and they feel really, really important. So now when I go into my stuff, there's much more space to go into it and I get less overwhelmed. I still can get overwhelmed by places in me for sure. Um, But historically I would be compulsively going into my stuff because I just didn't have any kind of spaciousness. I didn't really have any ground. Mm. And so, you know, I was trying, I was trying to get rid of and, you know, I was kind of anxiously looking at myself. Now, it's quite a journey to do that kind of combination of spiritual practice and psychological work, but they feel more and more kind of complementary to me now and like they really support each other. Because I agree, I mean, I, I mean, I think our stuff is bottomless. You know, we can kind of just go deeper and deeper with the same stuff. And there's places like there's times in our lives when it does really rise up again, for sure. Um, And then there's times, quieter times, 
where a practice can be enough just to kind of sustain us mm. and things that are coming up aren't too big and they can kind of get worked through through a very gentle meditation practice or something meditation like that. Meditation practice. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's my preferred practice, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there are some people, and I, I was, I've, I've written down Freud here on my pad. I mean, there are, you know, in the, in the psychoanalytical tradition, mm. there is a lot of space. I mean, you know, the therapist sits out of sight and all this kind of stuff and the client lies down. There's a lot of hierarchical yeah in there yeah. that we maybe we don't have to go into but <laughs> but there's that's that silence can be deeply deeply uncomfortable I mean, for, and for some people really unbearable yeah yeah the 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 need to fill the space with chat yeah is compulsive yeah 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 have you come across that with people I, have. Like, I can't I can't I don't I don't like this listening lock <laughs> yeah I mean I had it personally my I was when I was referred for therapy in my early 20s I was referred to a, psych, uh, a psychodynamic therapist mm -hmm. who just sat with me and I I had no idea what was going on I was so intimidated I had no idea what to do. It was incredibly uncomfortable. It wasn't appropriate because I was new to therapy. I was very young. Mm. I didn't trust, you know, so it didn't work. Mm. Then I went into a psychodynamic group in my 30s. And because it was a group, I guess it was a bit different, but very strong boundaries, no contact with each other out of the group. And we knew nothing about the therapist. It became too strong for me in the end. I, I just, it felt too, it felt, you know, like it felt abusive, a power abuse in the end for me. Um, but I'm, I, just gonna, I'm just gonna sorry I'm gonna interrupt here in a very unlistening way and say oh my god the number of stories I hear from friends and clients and colleagues about how damaging psychotherapy groups are Jesus they can be they can be yeah I mean I got a lot from that group but there was elements of it that were not okay mm. yeah yeah they really can be Walk to people. Be very Walk. awake, really, to run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, and I, I bust, I butted in. I butted no in worries. with my big butt. <laughs> <laughs> so I think because of that history, I'm pretty sensitive to clients, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a client endure silence. I mean, I just don't think there's anything to be gained from that. So, I, you know, that's something, again, particularly with people who are new to therapy, I bring in quite slowly. And I was a mentor for quite a while as well in education. And I combine mentoring skills with listening skills sometimes. Mm. And that's a really good mix for people. Mm. I just want to flag up that you have a wonderful email. You write it, you write it every month and it's always a delight. It's oh, always a delight to receive. I always feel slightly gleeful. Oh, I save you. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> like really little, nice. Like a little you. sweet. Like a little treat. Oh, lovely. So please do sign sign up to um, Jenny's email list because they're oh. uh, practical and informative and soulful and educational and also always good things in there. Good oh, things. thanks loads, Kate. I appreciate that. Yeah, I enjoy putting them together. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that shows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if there's one thing, <laughs> what's your top tip, Jenny? I know it's, I gotta, I gotta ask you. If there's one thing that you could suggest to do for more, a more comfortable relationship with ourselves, mm -hmm. what, what would that be? It would be to pause. It would be to pause, even if it's just for a moment, just to pause and to kind of come right here mm. in a way that's really nourishing. So to look at something beautiful, you know, look at the nature around you, look at someone you love, you know, touch something that feels lovely to your skin. It would be just to bring, just to pause and come here. Mm. I think that's a really lovely practice that, if you want to build, there's so much potential to build that. And if you want to just have something that's super simple, not too challenging, it's really accessible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd yes. And it's lovely. I love, I love the um, 
using that and I'm looking out of the window into the into the gloom now mm. I love I love using that in the natural world as well yeah what can I what can I hear here what can I see you know what can I smell you know just really simple and it's just profound it is profound even you describing that I can feel the space opening up yeah mm. yeah 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 a lot of what really works is really simple mm. Yes, and we kind of want it to be more complicated, don't we? And a bit more fancy. Yeah. Like, it's, I'd, it's, I'd like that in an app, please. <laughs> yeah. 50 options. It's oh. a challenge being comple complex and simple, because I think we are both. I think we're both simple <laughs> and complex. It's, such a challenge. It's, it's a real challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. Thank you so much, Jenny. Um, I think that we could go on talking for a very long time. Mm hmm mm hmm it's been such a pleasure, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Mm. Just having a little pause here. And you, you at the back, are you listening? Are you pausing? <laughs> One of the things that I loved about that conversation was how Jenny describes the process, you know, that it's this constant evolving the evolving learning process of finding out how to do it and getting curious about it um and that is so permissive you know it gives us permission to get stuff wrong and to do it wrong and then have a little think about it and have another go at things anyway you can find jenny at jenny rose smith jenny rose smith .co.uk. I, I love her emails, so do sign up for those. They're, they're just a joy. And my book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, it is available at your favourite bookshop. And Amazon is, of course, very easy, but don't forget that independent bookshops also do very nifty mail order service too, so you can check out your local bookstore. And it would be wonderful if you felt able to share this podcast with a friend. Word of mouth is totally the way forward. Just mentioning it to someone would be great. I'd be so happy if you could do that. My intention with these conversations is to affirm the importance of our inner lives, of the quality of our inner dialogue and our inner listening. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back very soon.